The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Hey Rockheads, boot up, log in, and drag drop. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan, announcing show number 541 with guest Anders Heilsberg, recorded live Tuesday, April 6th, 2010. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter, and now offering SharePoint 2007 video training with Sahil Malik on DVD, DNR TV style. Order your copy now at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Telerik, combining the best in Windows forms, WPF, Silverlight, and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com. And now, the man who says... We ain't the merry pranksters, but hey, Ken Kesey didn't have silver light. Carl Franklin. Thank you very much. Hey, we're at the launch, Richard. We are indeed, my friend. Yep. And an awesome interview coming up with Anders, but uh, we just want to remind people really quick about the road trip. Yes. DonnerRocks.com slash road trip. We're coming to a town near you. We'd love to see you. We're starting in Mountain View, and we're going down to Los Angeles, and we're going to San Diego, and we're coming up to Redlands, California, going over to Phoenix, then on the weekend going over to Houston, That's Dallas, drive. Yep, then Dallas, then uh, Tulsa, then St. Louis, ending up in Chicago the next weekend, then going over to Boston, we're going to hit Boston, New York City, we're going to hit uh, Richmond, Virginia, right, and uh, Raleigh, North Carolina, At finally Duke University. Up. Yeah, finally ending up in Atlanta. Indeed. It's going to be epic. That's uh, three weeks, lots of driving, and uh, lots of swag to give away. We are away. giving away so much stuff. You guys yeah. just have to come out and, and uh, have Any, a good time. Every software product you've ever heard of is probably going to be given away here. I get uh, The list is so long, we can't even read it. On top of that, Richard, the Bing team has put together a fabulous Silverlight tracking application, which will be running on the road trip page. So you can see where we are. It'll have pictures. It'll have uh, tweets, all, all sorts of tweets and fun stuff. But it'll all be tied into a map. So yeah, you'll get you'll to know see where us. we are at any given time and what people were saying when we were there. We'd also really like to thank Telerik for sponsoring the Ride Along with Carl and Richard contest. Yeah, I'm, I'm, that's going to be amazing. <laughs> it's so. pretty silly, actually. But if you think about it, but it, what's going to happen is we're going to draw a name in every town, and uh, somebody who's if you've registered on the website for this. We'll we'll pick your name. You can ride along with us. You know, we'll put you up for the night. You ride along with us to the next venue, and then we'll get you home the next day. Absolutely. We'll get you drunk. Shh. Shh. <laughs> I didn't say that. You'll get to see the really romantic side of a road trip. Oh, yeah. Riding the, in an RV. That's right. 
Yep, should be a lot of fun. .netrocks.com slash roadtrip. So should we talk a little bit about this show? Because uh, there's a little problem with this show. Oh, yeah, we had a little uh, audio difficulty. We recorded this before we left, and uh, um, Richard had some gear issues, I guess, right? Yeah, well, the microphone didn't work for the first 20 minutes of the interview. So you're going to hear my phone track for the first 20 minutes, because we use that to sync ourselves up. And then I finally get my act together, get the microphone running again, and uh, everything's normal after that. But, you know, don't let a little glitch like that shake you from a really great show. Oh, this was Anders. a great interview. You're going to love it. Well, uh, Richard, I'm very, very excited to introduce Anders Heilsberg to .NET Rocks. Uh, Anders is a technical fellow in the developer division. He's an influential creator of development tools and programming languages. He's also the chief designer of the C-sharp programming language and a key participant in the development of the Microsoft.NET framework. Since its release in 2000, the C-sharp programming language has been widely adopted and is now standardized by ECMA and ISO. Before his work on C-sharp and the .NET framework, Halsberg was an architect for Visual J++ development and the Windows Foundation classes. But before all that, in, uh, before joining Microsoft in 1996, Anders was one of the first employees of Borland International Incorporated. As a principal engineer, he was the original author of Turbo Pascal, a revolutionary integrated development environment, and chief architect of its successor, Delphi. Welcome to .NET Rocks, Anders. Thank you. Or shall we call you Mr. Hausberg? Or uh... <laughs> Anders will work just fine. <laughs> okay. All right. Great. Well, there's so much to talk about. I don't know really where to begin. Let me just ask you what you're doing these days, first of all, and then maybe we can take it from there. What are you working on? Uh, I am still, you know, day to day. I still work as the uh, chief architect of uh, of C Sharp, um, and we are just this coming week here, uh, shipping Visual Studio uh, 2010, uh, which includes C Sharp 4.0, and so so that's something we've been working on for Very for exciting. the last couple of years. And of course, uh, you know, we're thinking about the next one after that uh, always. And um, yeah, I also get involved in you know doing design API design on the .NET framework and whatever. I was you know deeply involved in the in the project to create uh, Link or language integrated query, you know, mm-hmm. in C Sharp 3.0 before that. And of course, that that wasn't just a language thing. It was it was also in VB, and it also included an OR mapper and an XML API, and that mm. that, that I worked on. I sort of I sort of get to work on, on a bunch of different things um, these days. Um, uh, in in addition here to to C sharp, I also sort of oversee our, from a technical standpoint, our strategy for our managed programming languages. So, so this sort of includes VB and F sharp and and the Iron. Python, Ruby, dynamic languages. What do you think about all these, the, the language revolution as it's come about? Well, I, I think, you know, the more the merrier, in, in a sense. Um, uh, new programming languages is how we move the state of the art forward. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a big supporter of that. Um, mm. I think it's interesting to see how... Um, the, the, the way languages evolve uh, has has shifted over time and has changed over time because frameworks and IDEs have gotten so large that it is increasingly important to to leverage what's already there. And so we're seeing lots of new languages now being built on top of these these big managed frameworks or platforms, like be it Java or .NET, uh, as opposed to to you know being implemented in their own little world. Um, and I think that's uh, that's exciting. You know, I mean, luckily we. 
we engineered .NET to be a multi-language platform. So, so and that's that's certainly serving us well now. I guess the question comes down to whether languages will actually get old living in a framework. I mean, Delphi was a competitor to Visual Basic, the old one, and it's kind of interesting that you're now, you know, working with the VB, the new one as well. But, uh-huh. uh, you know, we can see that Delphi is getting old and, and it's sort of been left behind, uh, although I think Marcadero owns it now and it's still out there. It just doesn't have the traction it used to. Is that even possible with .NET Framework for languages to lose relevance? Um, anything's possible, but, but, but <laughs> COBOL is in many ways still relevant. And what has it been now? What, 40 mm-hmm. years or is it 50? You know, it's, 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 yes, they will lose relevance, uh, eventually, but boy, it can take a good long time. You know, C++ yeah. is still very relevant. Uh, uh, so I, I think, you know, languages, languages evolve a lot slower than, than, than we all think sometimes mm-hmm. and certainly a lot slower than the, the the hardware evolution that we've seen over the past decades um, so so I think there there are many good years left still in, in .net and, uh, and the languages on top well, when I when I look at link it I think it looks to most developers like magic and <laughs> it I mean is it is it really simple or is it incredibly complex or is it both I mean it when I think about what you're doing behind there, I know you've got a parser for the language in a particular structure, and and then are we just traversing big lists of lists of lists? Is that really all we're doing? <laughs> I, what's going know, on in is, there? What's, that, what's going on in there? Yes, yes. Well, so Link is, I, I feel, uh, a wonderful pragmatic application of functional programming, actually, is, is really sort of one way, at least one way of thinking of it. I think also uh, that, uh, to me, one of the, the exciting aspects of Link is that if, if you boil it down to its constituent parts, it's just some language extensions and some APIs. You know, we added in C-sharp 3.0 maybe five or six extensions to the language, you know, including Lambda expressions, uh, extension methods, anonymous types, uh, type inference, and, 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 and a few others. Um, but taken together... These language features make it possible to construct a new kind of API that previously wasn't possible. And, and, and so one API that we build out of those is, is this thing called Link or Language Integrated Query, which really is just an API, an API that, that composes together to form a query language. Um, and on top of that, we then have a, a thin syntactic veneer in, in C-sharp itself, you know, the, the thing that allows you to write SQL-like queries where you say from C and customers where blah, 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 select, blah, blah, blah. But really, the compiler just boils that down to calls to methods named where and select and order by and group by and, and so forth. Hmm. And they're just implemented as APIs. So without all the other extensions to C-sharp, link wouldn't be possible. Right, right. Uh, yet... All of the things we added to C Sharp are wonderfully applicable to other things, sure. like Lambda expressions by themselves are super useful for other stuff, and extension right. methods. I mean, we see people doing all sorts of interesting things with those, and type inference. Hey, that's just goodness, right? You know, so they all sort of bear the hallmark of a good language extension. They are they are applicable in a in a in a multitude of different ways. Um, and that's that's where it gets interesting because you have linked to XML, you have linked to SQL. Did right. how long did it take for those teams to for the light to go off and say, "Aha, we can use this"? Um, well, 
I think part of, you know, the thing that was interesting about the Link Project was that it spanned a bunch of different um, disciplines. You know, there was doing the language design. Um, there was, you know, doing the, the if you will, the theory behind behind linker you know like like doing deferred execution and pipelines and 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 whatever and then there was the implementation of multiple different link apis so link to objects link to xml link to sql um and all of them we did sort of together um and and people worked on on different aspects of it uh personally i i ended up doing a lot of the coding on link to xml and some of the coding on link to objects and mm. And Matt Warren, who who works on the C# compiler, ended up doing uh, the majority of work on Link to SQL. Um, so, so, so yeah. we did both, uh, and that's I think what made it what made it great was that uh, that we were in there, you know, on on both sides of the fence, and 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 we could have the, the implementation inform the, the the language design and vice versa, right? Uh, in a, in a sort of very tight loop, if you will. Yeah, I just I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall when the light bulb went off. You know, oh, it was fun. It was, it was it was it was a very fun project to work on. One one of the most enjoyable ones I've, I've been on. No doubt. I have to wonder if the the link to SQL part of this didn't sort of complicate the whole issue. I'd love your position on this because I mean, link to XML, link to objects, link to anything that isn't a relational database. To right. me, is incredibly compelling because all of those things had different querying methods that were really a pain. Yep, and then link to SQL is somehow different. That it, it is a relational database, and, and we ended up with a subset to some degrees. And there's always an issue with the DBA on the back end. How, how do you see this? Um, you know, I was always fascinated, uh, first of all, with the with the impedance mismatch, if you will, between databases and general purpose programming languages. You know, and 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 when I talk about link, I I would often say, you know, like I I'm I'm old enough to remember uh, the good old days when data was easy, right? Where, <laughs> where, where say that again. Where we had products like DBase and whatever, where that where data was was ephemeral. It was it was it was like it was an integral part of of the language that you were programming in, right? Or we could even but write then, our own databases. Sure, but then in the name of scalability and enterpriseiness and and I don't know consistency and transactions and what have you, right? We we sort of we sort of forked the world and 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 we some of it went into relational database land and some of it into sort of general purpose programming languages that were more expressive and whatever. But we somehow lost the the deep connection between the two, and 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 in a sense regressed into talking to our database uh, is through these funky query APIs where, where, where you sort of have another programming language inside strings called SQL, right, that doesn't get type-checked and, by the way, has a completely different type system and, and, and all sorts of, you know, just irritating things that you have to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 and a strange asymmetry, you know, like, like, hey, I can query my data, but only if I put it in the database. You know, yeah. like once I take it out of the database, I can't query it anymore. Well, why is that? You know, how is that? How is that helpful? Mm. Um, <laughs> and and so so I felt we could do a lot better. And 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 so I I think you know I understand how you 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 can sort of view link to SQL as being an outlier in that it's 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 different and it's relational database. But but I think link would have gone nowhere had it not been right. for. For link to SQL. I mean, I don't think you can you can really talk about data without covering the 
uh, the, the the relational domain. You know that yeah. that's that's it has to be so included. big. Well, that's where most of our data is. Exactly, but combining the three under a common umbrella, it's it's something that no one had ever done before, and that yeah. was that was you know I think the real the real kicker. You know, is 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 this notion that that uh, that data from each of the three domains can be dealt with in a in a, in a in a common fashion and that you can write transformations between the domains which is which you know people a lot of people think of link as a query language i think of it actually equally much as a transformation language you know that allows you to transform data you know where you can you can write a link to sql query that yields out objects on the other end or link to xml and turn it into objects or turn objects into xml or you know right but the whole concept of heterogeneous joining that way, I wrote some, yeah. wrote some horrible trans-SQL stuff to try and solve those kinds of problems back on the database. I'd much rather yeah. do it in the mid-tier yeah. or in the client. Yeah. If you think about how objects and databases have sort of merged, we've been wanting to get there. You know, the whole idea of an ODBMS, the, an yeah. object database, has been along for a long time. And, boy, I guess we just didn't know how much we were, you know, chewing <laughs> biting off, you know, that we could chew. Yeah, or mapping it's it's a it's a big complicated domain because you really have two fundamentally different philosophies of 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 of, of data, you know, and right. and and you 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 tweak it in one direction and then you start losing features out the other side, you know, and then so it's it's tough. Um and and there is I think the the thing that makes it complicated is there that there isn't a canonical mapping between the two. Right. There is no one rule for how relational translates into objects or vice versa, you know. And so you end up with these dashboards that have uh, umpteen dials on them, right, where where everything can be tweaked, and that's where the complexity starts uh, creeping in. And only a tiny part of that is just the type matching of all of that. Sure. But, 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 you, but you know, I think that actually... That you could canonically say, hey, an int is an int, and a, and a so-and-so goes to so-and-so, right? But but it's more this this well how which which you know when 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 you when you move data into uh, be, be, between relational like in in rena- in relational in the relational domain data in a sense is is decomposed right into right. these flat rows and now yet in 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 the object oriented world we deal with hierarchies all the time i mean data uh, data hierarchies or graphs of data right that's 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 object orientation at its at its heart and so the question is, how do you how do you go from these flat rows to hierarchy? And there are a multitude of different ways you could. Which which joins are you are you most interested in? Right, that sort of establishes your your hierarchy, if if you will. But they're not the only ones, and so you can't you can't always have all of them present, you know. And and so I don't know. It's it's uh, it's non-trivial, clearly. But I think we've made tremendous headway, you know, with link to SQL and with the entity framework. You know, I mean, it's it's it's. It's a much better uh, a programming experience than than what than than before for certain. Uh, so so you know I'm I'm happy with, uh, with where we ended up. You know the other thing I wanted to mention by the way uh, about linked out that I think is really fascinating too is that it moves the level of abstraction up, um, which which yep. is turning out to be super super useful. Um, for other reasons, you know, first, of course, it makes programmers more productive, you know, like yeah. that, that you can just join to, you know, like 
let's say you're in memory, you can just join to two lists of data, right? Mm. I mean, hey, that's 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 super that's useful, powerful. obviously. Or you can sort them, or project, or transform, or or whatever. But but the other the other thing that it brings to table uh, to the table is that it gives us much more flexibility in the execution infrastructure to be smart about running these queries and transformations, right? If you write a join as, well, I'm going to put this first in a dictionary here, and then I'm going to run a for loop over the other end where I'm going to probe into the dictionary and whatever, then once it comes time to run that code, that code's going to run precisely the way you said. And there's right. nothing the execution infrastructure can do to be smart about it. But if you said, hey, I want to join between these two things, well, hey, if, you're, if we're running on a quad core, you know, and we can figure a good way to spread this out over the four cores, well, we actually stand a chance of doing it because you were programming at a higher level where you were talking about the what, but not so much the how. Mm. Um, and that, I think, is actually very important. And, and it's turning out to, to really pay off in, in spades uh, when it comes to concurrency because we can build... Interesting APIs like PLink, you know, that's now part of, uh, of, of, of .NET 4.0, a parallel implementation parallel link. of Link. Um, yeah. And lo and behold, you get the same programming models, but, but all of a sudden, this stuff can run concurrently, um, where, you know, we're still not, there's still no automatic way of making your for loop go, right. <laughs> go concurrent, you know, or, or your dictionary or, or whatever, because it's too much, it's too, it's, you're in a sense being, you're, you're, you're over-specifying the solution to the problem, you right. know, when you're writing in the traditional style. Yep, yep. It can't and, be done and that. there's no wiggle room for, there's no wiggle room for the, for the execution environment to, to be smart about it. So are we looking at the roadmap for C-sharp, uh, maybe even the .NET framework as a whole, as becoming this more uh, less literal model where we can allow the machine to find a way to run it across multiple cores? Because it sure looks like everybody's going to have lots of cores. Oh, yeah. Well, yes. Concurrency, it's, it's like, you know, like, like Herb Sutter, our, our co-worker mindset, the free lunch is over, right? Mm. Um, <laughs> you know, we, we, we had, we sort of, in a sense, had become complacent, right? Uh, hey, if our software was too slow, well, we'd just wait for the next generation of hardware to fix right. the problem, right? It'd run twice the speed, and then we'd be, then we'd be good again. Uh, well, that stopped. Um, and over the last five years, we have actually seen no appreciable uh, increase in clock speeds because right. they run too hot. And we can't, they eat up the battery too fast. Yeah. Um, so we've hit, we've hit a wall there now. But Moore's law marches on, you know, and then still delivers more density. So now, so now, hey, you know, we can get more core on on a, on a on a die. Right, right. now and it's not but, like free lunch. Now we have to learn how to cook. <laughs> well, now we have to well we have to learn to eat with some 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 different uh, tools, you yeah. know, and uh, if 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 you will, and then and writing writing concurrent applications is hard. I mean, it's yep. hard even for the, for the smartest people. Um, and uh, and so we need to all do some deep thinking about better programming models. I I feel like we're making some good progress. Like I said in in .NET 4.0 with stuff like Parallel Link and the Task Parallel Library. Oh, yeah. um, uh, but there's lots more that we could do in our in our programming languages, like you know where APIs can't can't really solve the problem, like reasoning about isolation and mm. purity of functions and making it more easier to write immutable data structures which are, are are lend themselves to to concurrency much much better than than mutable ones um those are some of the things we're looking at you know for for 
going forward. Do you think that when we have 16, 24, 32 cores, that uh, software transactional memory will be a more important technology than it is now? <laughs> um, no. I, I, I've, I've, I've sort of increasingly view software transactional memory as the, uh, the string theory of, of, of memory management, you know. It, <laughs> it, 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 <laughs> it just, it just, it's the gift that keeps on giving in terms of complexity. And then yeah. I think there's, there's a, <laughs> There's a lot less activity in in STM than there used to be, and you know it never, it has yet to get to a point where it is feasible in in, in terms of cost. You know, garbage collection became popular when the aggregate cost dropped into the ten to twenty percent range. Right. You right. know, sort of roughly speaking, right? Well, the best. Software transactional memory implementations are still sitting at a, at around 200 to 400 percent, right. um, and that's even in, in best cases actually. And and still, the problem even with software transactional memory, it's it's still you know in a sense, it's still a problem of synchronization and shared state. Which it's just done at a lower some, level. Some would some would argue is is the wrong way to look at a problem in the beginning. And from from you know, it, it's, we we shouldn't have the shared state to begin with. <laughs> right. You know, we should try to try to have less shared state. So now, we're all going to go functional. Is that what you're saying? Well, I mean, hey, you know, I'm <laughs> I'm a big fan of, of functional programming, as as is evident in in you know yeah. the work we've done with C sharp and F sharp and, and and whatever. But, um, you know, functional programming is wonderful. Uh, except when you have to write real apps, right? right. It's not uh, accessible, so. really. <laughs> not really accessible so, to the average developer. Well, no, no, no. I, that's not so much that. I, I mean, it, it's just that in a pure functional program, there can be no side effects. You know, right. well, well, writing to the console is a side effect. You know, it's like writing something on an HTTP socket or putting it on disk or whatever. Those are all side effects. Mm. So there has to be side effects somewhere. <laughs> and 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 uh, so so the trick is like finding ways to write. Islands of functional in 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 your apps where you know oh in in this subsystem down here it's all functional I don't have to worry about concurrency and shared state issues and side effects and whatever I I know that it was written in a way that those things are simply not possible um, just like it isn't possible in a in a garbage collected uh, system or in a in a managed execution uh, system to have a stray pointer mm-hmm. it just, you can just rule it out it just <laughs> it's, yeah. it's categorically not possible, right? Um, but then you have to find ways to marry that with with sort of imperative when necessary, right? Mm. Because ultimately you're going to have to have side effects in your apps. But but I think I think where 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 functional programming is interesting is that that with our imperative programming languages, side effects are everywhere. You're encouraged to have side effects. We mm. make it super easy for you. Oh, why don't you just declare yourself a uh, a, a static uh, variable here, right. you know, and, and and stuff some stuff in there, and what then you look happen? at it later, right? And and yeah, <laughs> and all of a sudden, you know, this void method that that you have there, it can matter when you call it and how many times you call it and mm. on what thread you call it, right? Because yeah. there's there's stuff happening behind the curtain, right? Um, but we need to sort of de-emphasize that style of programming and 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 in a sense move to a more functional by default, and then you have to do extra incantations to do the the dangerous, uh, mutable, shared state stuff. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik, 
whose RAD controls outperform all others. Are you experiencing performance hits when handling millions of records with your Silverlight grid? Have you been frustrated by the amount of XAML code it takes to create a control template? There are so many potential bottlenecks that can drag your app performance. And of course, there's no universal solution for them. The good news is the guys from Telerik understand the complexity of that problem. When building RAD controls for Silverlight, they isolate every probable source of performance loss. Then they apply a respective solution. Through UI and data virtualization, data sampling, and content recycling, RAD controls help you deliver unbeatable performance with your Silverlight apps. You can check out Telerik Silverlight Grid handling 50 million cells as a piece of cake or RAD chart working seamlessly with a million records. Just go to Telerik.com slash Silverlight slash performance for details. And hey, don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. They truly make this show possible. So you have islands of functional programs uh, that are stitched together with traditional object-oriented. Yes, 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 yeah. yes, yeah. That that's like sort of, that sort of. For, for example, yeah, yeah. and, and that I, I think that's sort of the way it's 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 trending. Hmm. And do you think that uh, our development tools, that our third-party tools, and all that kind of thing, are going to have to be more functional just by nature? Well, um, yeah. I mean, I think they have to. They have to cater to a functional style better. Yeah, and and than 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 they do today. Um, if, like, let me take a specific example. In C sharp, um, it is easier to write a mutable object than it is to write an immutable object. Mm-hmm. Right. You have to do extra work in C sharp to make it immutable. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the way, the compiler can't check it for you either. <laughs> do, you, do you know what I mean? And, yeah. Well, we surely we could do better than that. You know. Um, right. And and so so that's kind of what 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 I what I mean. Yeah, I'm concerned that object orientation fundamentally resists this sort of parallel execution model that we're always going to be crippled as long as we're still focused on objects. Um, well, it depends on what you mean by by objects. I mean, objects are sort of an amalgam of a, of a bunch of different things, like you know, polymorphism and encapsulation of state and and, and whatever. But then there's also you know mutability. Um, and and I, I I guess you could say that traditionally you know objects have 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 encapsulated mutable state right, right. And, and you sort of poke them and and they change their state internally right but there's really nothing to say that you that that it has to be that way you know I mean you can you can equally uh, a well program with immutable objects just data structures um, yes well yeah. well. No, but they can, you can have inheritance. You can have polymorphism, whatever. That that that, that isn't ruled out uh, right. by immutability. Um, uh, so so I think you know we can tweak the, the object model to to uh, to sort of be more functional in nature, uh, more immutable, and 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 get sort of the best of both worlds. I, I at least I'm 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 hopeful that that's uh, that that's a possibility. Um, you know, I mean, functional programming languages have algebraic data structures and pattern matching, which is a different way of looking at it. But they, in a sense, trade extensibility away, you know, uh, in order to get a close-ended set of cases that you then handle with pattern matching. And, and that's good for one kind of programming, but but for other kinds, you know, I mean, ob- object orientation is, is more appropriate. So I just think we have to we have to sort of wean ourselves off of all this mutable state that we have everywhere <laughs> yeah. and be a little more disciplined about it, you know. 
Oh, don't you think guidance is going to be imperative then? Um, oh, sure. Yeah. No, we, yeah, absolutely. When we, do we you need use to. which? When to use which, and also it's it's uh, writing in a in a in a in, in in sort of this more immutable way or or snapshot way, if if you will, is um, it's it's a very different way of thinking about the problem, and and it changes how you write your apps. So so mm-hmm. yeah, there's there's going to be some. Uh, there's definitely going to be a, a period of, of, of learning there. Um, yeah. But but I think it's it's something we have to do uh, if if we're gonna if we're gonna stand a chance of, of taking advantage of all of this uh, of all of this concurrency that's being uh, thrown at us. Um, yet I I would caution there by the way too that even so that this this coming glut of concurrency is is fundamentally going to be very different from 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 you know the, the 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 days of old where we just doubled the clock speed every every 24 uh months i mean doubling the clock speed benefited everything right i mean it was just like yeah. broad stroke across the board yeah, everything runs faster concurrency is more a thing that you can apply in targeted areas but it's not always possible to 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 parallelize stuff I mean, some things are inherently serial, uh, and then just won't parallelize. Uh, other things, you know, you may be able to parallelize, but not, you know, but you're not going to get linear scalability there. Just because you have eight cores doesn't mean it's going to go eight times faster. Um, right. So it's it's you know, like like Herb said, the free lunch is over. You know, <laughs> yeah. and it's it's going to be it's going to be different. It's going to be harder to eke out that 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 increase in speed. Uh, going well, forward. and it's interesting to see the progression of of pushing on parallelism. We've been we've always had create thread, although that now looks like a mistake uh, with the new tooling in in .NET four zero with yeah. uh, with the parallel task library. Well, I I think uh, the, the the problem we've had there is that that we had a reasonably shallow encapsulation of the physical resources, so to speak, of of the OS or or the OS resources, right? Um, the problem with with threads is that um, that they are a relatively expensive OS resource. Um, not so much that they uh, consume lots of physical memory, but they consume lots of logical address space. Um, right. And and so so by default, for example, when you create a thread in in uh, in, in .NET, uh, we give it a one megabyte address, a logical address space for its stack. Uh, now you are likely never going to commit pages for all of that one megabyte, but nonetheless, you've taken a chunk out of the logical address space, and you only have two gigs or three gigs to do good with there. So that means two thousand threads, you're you're done, you know, yeah. on a thirty-two bit machine. Um, Which means all you can do is run Outlook. Well, I mean, <laughs> I'm sorry. Did I say that out loud? That's a shame. <laughs> Well, I, I, you know, yeah. Uh, <laughs> He's not going to go there. He's not going there. <laughs> I'm, I'm moving right along. Oh yeah. man! Um, <laughs> but, but, but the thing is, we need to find. So we need to find ways of decoupling your work from the thread, so to speak. And that's part of what right. the task parallel library does. Is it? It allows you to reason about logical units of work, and re- and reason about how you generate that work. So to speak, like like parallel for loops or whatever, you know, where you could view each iteration as a logical unit of work 
that just needs to be scheduled on some thread. It doesn't care about what thread it runs on. You know, it's, it's so, so you have no affinity there between, you know, which thread you're on. It's just work that can be run whenever there's something, a resource available to run it, right? And that's, I think, a, a, a much better model of, of, of concurrency. It's by no means perfect yet. You know, the, with the task parallel library, you know, if, if, if a piece of work blocks, you're blocking a thread, and that's unfortunate. And I wish there were cheaper ways of doing that, and that's stuff that we're looking into. Um, so, so we're going to get better over time. But I think we have a, I think we have a, a great start. I do think you're, you've got to get to this point of the default for the developers is inherently parallel, and they have to be declarative about serializing things essentially. Well, some languages go there. Um, Guy Steele uh, has worked for, for, for several years now in a language called Fortress, um, which is parallel by default. The for loop is parallel by default, and then, mm, then you right. have to do extra work to not be parallel. Um, mm. I'm not sure that, I mean, we obviously couldn't do that to, yeah. to our for loop, you know, because there are way too many assumptions about for loops not being concurrent um, in your programs. However, because, and then this is, this is part of what's exciting about some of the language uh, stuff we've done, you know, because we added in C-sharp 3.0, nice, wonderful features like Lambda expressions and type inference, we can build rich, rich APIs now that are rich enough that they look like new statements. Yeah. So, for example, in the task parallel library, we have parallel.for and parallel.foreach and parallel.invoke that feel like a parallel for loop because yeah. the body of work that, that you want run in parallel, you give through a Lambda expression, and it looks just like a parallel for loop. I mean, if you squint, right? Yeah. And you could certainly you could certainly envision over time that we add a syntactic veneer on top of that, just like we have a syntactic veneer on top of a for each loop on our link query, you know, that, that makes it look more language integrated, right? Um, so so I'm, I'm a great fan of, of that sort of try first, buy later uh, language design where you try it first in APIs, and if they become popular and stick, then you add language veneers on top. So it all goes back to the statement you made about languages evolving very slowly. You know, you have this whole problem of backward compatibility to maintain, so... New, you just couldn't make a for loop by default parallel. You just can't do that. You have to have a Correct. new namespace and a new keyword and all that. So, but I, I think there's another thing too that 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 we that we have to be cognizant of as language designers is that that we can only add. We can never take away. Right. right. You know, in APIs, in a sense, well, it, it's the same in APIs, right? But APIs, you can sort of deprecate or ignore the old API, or and you can choose to not include that assembly in your program anymore. But languages yeah. aren't structured that way. You know, it's it's yeah. it's there's only one C sharp, right? And and so so we gotta be we gotta be real conservative about what we add. Ideally, when we add stuff, it has to be usable in multiple domains and not just for one little particular thing. That explains the popularity of all these other languages, particularly dynamic languages. And I, I noticed when I first saw, you know, these languages that um, uh, a lot of the form, you know, C-sharp developers were loving the fact that they could just create these variables and not worry about types. And I'm thinking, yeah, we used to call that Visual Basic, <laughs> you know? True. And, and, and here are the guys that have been slagging, you know, made a made a career out of bad mouthing a language that has been probably one of the most popular <laughs> languages ever. And you certainly know about this because you know Borland was competing head to head with Visual Basic with Delphi, sure. 
What were the things that you liked about Visual Basic back in the day? Oh, I mean, the, the, the whole notion of, of rapid application development was sort of born with, uh, with VB, you know, this, this close coupling of, of uh, drag and drop uh, uh, GUI construction, right? And then writing event handlers and having properties on, on your objects that you tweak um, was, yeah. that was all new. I mean that that just that was that had that hadn't been there before in a in a in a in a in a programming environment and now it's it's sort of like we've become so accustomed to it that we never even we don't even stop to think about it anymore. Um but yeah. but you know with with so so that impressed me mightily. Uh now I felt that that on the other hand I but I but I did feel that we could do better on the language side. You know it it yeah. it, it ended up being coupled to 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 basic and an interpreter and whatever and hey we had this great asset called uh, that felt I felt you know called Pascal that was mm. a, a a very nice type safe disciplined language with a great native code compiler you know that was very fast and whatever it sounded like a marriage marriage made in heaven you know so so <laughs> yeah type safe is the key there I mean the problem with VB of course is that you know people just got used to creating variables with no type and then VB yeah. said hmm, okay then there's no type yeah whereas yeah. you know. In in .NET, we have type. We can't live without types, but they're inferred. But they are still those types. True, so, of course. In C sharp four yeah. we now have dynamic. But in a sense, you are you are being explicit about when you're you're using it. You know, and right. and, and so it's it's not sort of the default. Yeah, it it seems to me that C sharp four you've really sort of driven towards more dynamic capabilities for C sharp. Yes. Um, I, and and it, it that's actually very deliberate. Um, more and more in in our day to day programming, we sort of face scenarios where the data or the API that we're talking to is not schematized or not strongly schematized or not strongly right. typed, if if you will. Like if you're if you're doing anything against a cloud service, you know, hey, that's typically a REST based thing, right? Uh, with with that doesn't have schema. Uh, and uh so so you're going to have to talk to it dynamically uh if you're if you're looking at an xml document or a json uh a blob of data or you know uh, all of these are or you're talking to some code written in a dynamic language and there's lots of code out there written that way um in all of those cases you don't have strong typing you don't have a class that represents or a set of classes that represent the thing you're talking to and so as a result of that, you sort of fall off the cliff, if you will, and, and into some sort of domain-specific API for talking to that particular thing. Uh, you know, something reflection-like. Do, do you know what I'm saying? Or or, right. or, or, or XML API-like or data API-like or whatever. And they're all, they, but, but in a sense, they're all just different ways of, of doing things that, that like invocations and like getting and setting properties right um but but they're all done differently you know where the property you pass the name in a string and maybe the value is a boxed object or or whatever right and invocation well that could be an http put or get or 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 you know but but in reality you know we we sort of have ways of expressing it in in the language right and so uh like method calls and properties and it mm-hmm. just so happens that 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 we only in C sharp allow you to do those if if you have strong strongly typed classes to represent the thing you're talking to. But but with the dynamic stuff, um, you can get the nice syntax and you can get a unified syntax that looks like 
code <laughs> that you can think at about at a higher level, you know, um, and then and then you can map it onto whatever domain you want to map it onto. So you can you can build a little proxy object that appears to respond to method calls, but when you make these method calls, it packages it up into a REST-based invocation, right? And and gets you results back, or you can you can make an XML document look like a property bag, right? With object sure. that has properties and and so forth. And and I think that's very meaningful. You know, I I I think in a sense, it adds a dimension of of expressiveness to C sharp that wasn't there before. You know, so for cases where you don't have strong typing, we we allow you to to code in a more natural way now. And that's really all it is. I'm I'm not saying that that you should run out, you know, and and take your strongly typed C sharp programs and turn them into dynamically typed code. Uh, right. And I I am I am manifestly a strong believer in the the, the benefits of, of 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 strong typing, like you know, compile time error checking, increased performance. You know, you yeah. get tools like IntelliSense and and correct refactorings based on type information. All of that it all accrues to strong typing, and I think it's great. Background compiler, Anders? Is that something that never appealed to... Uh... Hey, Visual Studio every day uh, does background compiling. Like, as you're typing, uh, we're, we're compiling. That's how you get your squigglies, for example. Uh, yeah, right. It's, it works a little differently in Visual Basic, I noticed, and uh, I guess C-sharp is sure. caught. Well, VB has sort of this... this, this uh, um, it's really more of a historical thing, you know, but this this thing of line committing, you know, where, right. where when you press enter, it, it reformats your line and whatever, and... And we've never done that in C sharp. It's not that we couldn't. It, it's just it was that way in VB, and VB users have gotten used to it. But yeah. but but both of, of of the two languages are are always busily compiling away in the background, you know. And and yep. and whenever a compile succeeds, you know, you get your 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 semantic squigglies, uh, you know, that 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 are not just you know based on syntactic right. errors, you know, but but uh, based on actually completing a compile with all the type information there. So looking at the evolution of C Sharp, you, you mentioned this briefly, that the 1.0 was just the whole concept of managed code and getting that going. And, and in 2.0, you introduced generics. And 3.0, you really made generics incredibly relevant to us in Link. Mm-hmm. And there's lots of features in 4.0 now that sort of moved to the dynamic programming world. Right. What does 5.0 look like? <laughs> Well, if I knew exactly what it looked like, you know, I I I, I, <laughs> I, I could tell you, but I don't. I mean, because we're we're it's still a work in progress. Um, sure. I I could tell you though that one of the things we're 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 working on is in is is this theme, and and every release has sort of had a theme, right? And, right. And, and in four, you could say the theme is dynamic, and then in three O with Link, and the theme for five O is compiler as a service is is how we're thinking about it. Nice, huh? And um, and the way I talk about this is uh, is that you know the, the compilers that we have today, the VB, the C sharp compilers, but but really sort of a lot of other compilers as well for strongly typed languages are, in a sense, black boxes. You know, on 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 the one side you feed them source files, and out the other side come object files or assemblies. But what happens in the middle is kind of a mystery. It's a black box, right? There's a bunch of knowledge about the code that the compiler has, but it doesn't reveal it to you. Um, yeah. Yet, increasingly, the way we interact with our code is not conducive to that traditional worldview. Um, like, programmers in dynamic languages swear by their interactive prompts and their repls, right? Um, 
Yet there's nothing that says that a static, statically typed language couldn't have an interactive prompt, except you can't fit it into this old compiler architecture. You know, you got to have a different way of, 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 of being able to just feed a, a line to the compiler at a time. Do, do, do you know what I'm saying? So, so, right. so source files, that, that traditional view doesn't quite work there. If, if you want to embed snippets of code in a domain-specific language like Workflow or BizTalk or whatever, where you have little predicates that sit in XML attributes that you want to be able to evaluate, that's another example of you don't have a source file to compile. You just have a little snippet or a string that you want to get compiled here, right? If you're trying to, to if you have an app that you want to make programmable, you know, and you want to host a programming language in your app, and, uh, you know, it's another example of where you may not have source files, um, and conversely, you know, this notion that the compiler always produces an object or an object file or an assembly as the output is not necessarily correct either. Sometimes you want to run it in memory. Sometimes if you want to use the compiler's knowledge to, to do refactoring of your code, you don't want an assembly produced. You want, you want access to the parse trees and the type and the binding information that the compiler has, right? Hmm. So... So the challenge for us is, is in a sense, to do away with this black box view of the compiler and open up the compiler and make it more of an API uh, where you can, you, can, you can just call the compiler, if you will, and say, here's, here's a snippet of code. Wow. Here's my, here's my context. Please compile it and give me an expression tree or give me some code that I can run right now, depending, you know, or... Or, or, or let me ask questions about this piece of code here. What did this variable bind to and so forth so I can do a refactoring, right? So code that writes code sounds very Isaac Asimov. Well, it's, it's, it, it certainly it, it gets you into, you know, it sets you up much better for, for metaprogramming. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I'm excited about it. And if you examine what, what like the entire success of, Ruby and Ruby on Rails is due to the language's metaprogramming capabilities. Yeah. It's this hmm. notion that the program writes itself as it runs, right? Um, hmm. and, and that gives you, you know, a, an order of magnitude more succinctness in your coding experience because you can just say, you know, uh, has many uh, orders and belongs to customer or, or whatever, and poof, the program as it runs injects the whole pattern for or one to many and one to one relationship into your into your class, right? And the the word self healing comes to mind too. Well, it's not. I, I'm not sure if it heals. It's it's more like self replicating or, or whatever. But well, I guess but I'm yeah, I'm thinking I mean, of a day when you know your code could have some sort of observer watching it and finding errors and figuring out where those errors are and fixing them. Well. Well, I, I think it's more a question of making you not make the mistakes in the first place, right? I mean, mm. and, 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 and I, I think, you know, if you program at a higher level, and this is precisely, it comes back to this, you know, moving the level of abstraction up and making you right. say, say more of the, of the what and, and, and less of the how, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you're, you're, you're up there at a much, I'm saying, hey, I'd like a one to many relationship here. And then, your program makes you all the stuff you need for a one to many. It's not like you have to type it all in and make a bunch of stupid little mistakes that, you know, were, were just, you know, shouldn't have been there in the first place, right? Right. So, so it's all about moving it up, the, the level of abstraction. And metaprogramming is going to be an important discipline going forward. And, and so, and the work I'm talking about here is in a sense a, 
a foundational piece for for making C sharp and VB, you know, better better languages for doing that type of metaprogramming, but also for reaping, you know, some of the you know some of the wonderful aspects of of dynamic programming languages, like having an interactive prompt. You know, man, yeah. you know, that that would be a nice thing. Um, and of course, having a full fidelity object model for your for your source code, so you can reason about the source code and write user written refactorings and and so forth. That's so that's some of the stuff that that we're that we're noodling with. Uh, but 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 I alluded to also, you know, other things. I mean, we're we're not done. Uh, yeah, exactly. Like like you know, be, being a better concurrency citizen, you know, is is is, is clearly uh, front and center on our radar. Yeah. Yeah, your your conversation around parallelism implied to me that that this uh, element is going to be important going forward. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So we're coming down to the end of the show, Anders, and I just have the most important question that's been burning on my mind for an hour. Uh, who's a better squash player, you or Lino? Oh, Lino. <laughs> it's amazing. I so so so. I mean, Lino. I think was he was like a junior. He was like world world ranked rated as a, as a junior squash player, as far right. as I know. And you wouldn't know it to look at him. No, no you, you would not. I I did have the opportunity to play with him once or twice, but we were like so <laughs> we were so mismatched. It was amazing. Here you have this 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 very big presence called Lino standing right in the middle of the squash court with telescopic <laughs> arms that can reach the far corners, you know. And I was running around like a. Like a scalded cockroach, you know, and I, I think if I, if I got a single point, you know, it was only because he gave it to me, so. <laughs> and you must have been saying it to yourself as you're walking out of the court, oh, this is going to be fun, you know, oh, yeah. this will be oh, a no, piece of cake. Oh, no, no, I knew. I, 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 I knew already. I knew what I was getting into. Oh. oh, that's good. But, yeah, yeah, that was fun, though. Yeah. Well, he says you guys certainly had a lot of fun at Borland. We did. It was, it was yeah. a magic time. Yeah, it really was. Yeah. That's excellent. Yeah. Well, uh, Anders Hausberg, thank you very much for spending this hour with us or so. Sure, my, my pleasure. It was great. And we'll see you at the launch, and, and good luck on C Sharp 4.0 and C Sharp 5, and we'll, we'll thank you very much. My pleasure. All right. Take care. Okay. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter van.